Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is a, a tennis podcast we weren't expecting to do because it's Wednesday. We normally do them on uh, Mondays unless we're at Grand Slams. Um, but a little bit like when Maria Sharapova told the world that she had a big announcement to make and we all watched a live internet stream with a countdown until she stood in front of uh, some curtains to tell us that she'd tested positive for meldonium four years ago, almost to the day, in fact, four years ago. It was uh, uh, in the first week of March uh, in 2016, we have, out of the blue, discovered today that uh, Maria Sharapova is announcing her retirement. Now, four years ago, that's what we thought she was about to do, and then she revealed that she she tested positive. So um, that led to a suspension, eventually a, a comeback, um, and not a very successful comeback, one that has been full of injuries and and. Yeah, not 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 a great sight at times, really. As she struggled to try to get back into the game and do some of the things she'd done before. And let's not forget, she'd won five Grand Slam titles, including all four of the Grand Slams, uh, winning Wimbledon at the age of seventeen in two thousand and four. So, Catherine Whittaker and myself are here at your disposal for a, a little chat about all of it. Catherine, that it was a bit of a, a shock and a bit out of the blue, although I suppose not in, not really that much of a shock when you when you really look at the facts of, of the matter that Maria Sharapova hasn't been a factor in such a long time. Yeah, and when you proposed that we uh, record an emergency podcast about it, my first thought was, can we dig out the one that we recorded <laughs> four years ago? <laughs> We did actually do one, we did. didn't we? Based We've on already a done a Maria Sharapova retirement podcast because she called that press conference in LA and we were scheduled to record our usual pod at the Putney Exchange that day. And we knew that later that day this press conference was happening. We thought it's probably going to be retirement. So we'd better do a Maria Sharapova retirement podcast. Wow, i mean, I'd forgotten that. It was probably our very best work that never went to air. <laughs> Yeah, it's way better than this. Um, but anyway. So here we are doing a second Maria yes. Sharapova retirement podcast. She'd better bloody well not do a comeback because I'm not doing another one. 
Uh, okay, well, so we'll talk about Mary Sharapova ourselves in a minute or two, but let's hear, first of all, from the man that broke the story today. We first saw a tweet about Maria Sharapova's retirement from Christopher Clary, who's been a regular guest here on the Tennis Podcast. He's the New York Times tennis correspondent. He said, we're reporting today that Maria Sharapova is to retire, and he'd got an exclusive interview with her. That was followed within minutes by her own personally penned essay in Vanity Fair and in vogue um explaining why she'd come to this decision and and talking about her career and and what had led to this moment and all of her her happy memories etc and not so happy memories although i have to say the, the the doping suspension wasn't mentioned in the piece at all um but chris is the man that broke the story and the first thing i wanted to know from him when i caught up with him in new york walking the streets of new york which is a is a wonderful sound in itself you'll hear all sorts of familiar new york sounds in the background I wanted to know from Chris how he'd first come to know that she was about to retire. Well, I think um, it seemed like it was going to be in the air, just watching the way things went in Australia. I didn't think the retirement was happening this quickly, or maybe in this manner, but I knew that it was sooner than later. So there's been there's been some communication back and forth, and it became pretty clear that in the last two weeks that this was going to happen. From outreach from her, outreach from us. And uh, she decided the way she wanted to do it was kind of clean and tidy in her in her point of view and not do a farewell tour or a farewell tournament. And so she, through her people, asked me to come to New York uh, Monday. She took the train down from my house near Boston and uh, met her in New York downtown. Big conference table with a very nice carpet, which was, I think, important for anybody who remembers her, uh, <laughs> her, her news conference during the Meldonium thing when she... Said so if she were going to retire, I wouldn't be with not a very nice carpet in the room. I think this met that box standard. And we talked for almost two hours, and it was a great interview. And she was uh, no tears, a lot of wincing, talking about the pain she's been in. I think I hadn't really realized to what degree she'd been struggling physically. And it was, uh, you know, as she is, poised under pressure and very decisive and uh, clean break, time to move on. But she did want to, I think. Despite the initial appearances, she wanted to have a a quality interview and a quality talk with a journalist to get the uh, full perspective. And you know, it was uh, it was good we got that opportunity. I thought it was a good interview. And there's more to come. We're going to hopefully publish some more about it as the days go on. Yeah, well, I, I've read the interview, and I highly recommend anybody listening to this to go and read Chris's interview in the New York Times with Maria Sharapova. It really does give that perspective about. I guess the 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 process of coming round to retirement, and, and we've we're going to see a lot of it over the next few years with all time greats of this sport. We've obviously been following it ourselves from a British perspective with Andy Murray. When will that happen? We thought it it had already happened, and and he's 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 given his most recent update about his physical situation and 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 the, the battling against the dying of the light isn't it and how much more can you take and and i and maria sharapova she was known for that wasn't she just carrying on working her way through trying to get at that last drop out of herself and i guess eventually it just got too much i mean that was a a tough loss to to, to witness against donna vekic at the australian open it, it did feel like she'd got nothing left yeah, and I think the conversations that were had after that, 
with her agent Max Eisenbud and also with others in her team. I think they were very emotional, and I think that was kind of the theme. It's like you know, everybody's kind of hoping that she would realize that she kind of pushed the body as far as she could, but she had to come to that conclusion herself, much as Andy Murray will have to when the time comes, or Roger Federer or Serena Williams or whoever it is. But I think it's, you know, in Maria's case, as you know, David, she was thinking of retiring before the Maldonian scandal broke and the Maldonian test happened. She was kind of on the verge. People went to her press conference about that thinking she was going to retire. And I think this actually prolonged her career because she wanted to prove a point to herself and come back. And she's a fighter. She was not going to be defined by that. But ultimately, because the way it worked out since the comeback, in a way, she was defined to some degree by that. But I really, you know, she makes a good point on the story, which is, you know, you talk about the impact of going off Meldonium and she goes, you know, I've had problems with my shoulder since I was 21. I've been fighting injuries all along. So I think this is the culmination of, of a lot of years and a lot of monomaniacal focus on hitting tennis balls from the age of five, six, seven years old at a very intense professional level. So this is the outcome. 32 seems almost young these days, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Where, where do you stand on the Meldonium? Meldonium subject in terms of how we will remember her. How will you remember her given that that incident took place and that she tested positive for it? Look, it is it's certainly, a, you know, a, a blot on the copybook. No question about it. Um, she made a mistake. You think as professional as she is in so many levels, she should have known what was going on. She taken ownership of that and had the people around her to be careful about it. As we know, that situation hit a lot of athletes at that time. It was the first month. Um, communication was not ideal. My view of it is she made a big mistake. That's one of the ultimate responsibilities of an athlete in this era is to follow the rules on doping. But I don't believe she's an intentional doper, and that's what the appeal uh, panel found. And I think um, she's paid a high price for it personally and also, I think, in her reputation. I mean, just today, David, on social media, when I posted my – my comments, my tweet or whatever, the news, and then the story to follow, you looked down at the comments and half of them are doper, cheater, doper, cheater, good riddance, off you go. That to me seems unfair. seems too harsh. Yes, she can't be viewed the same way as somebody who never made a mistake like that, but I don't think she should be viewed as somebody whose whole career was a sham because of a, basically an administrative error. Um, that's, that's just the way I see it. And in addition to that, if you look back over her career, you're, you're, you're going back over more than 10 years before then when she burst on the scene when we all remember it, 2004 Wimbledon beating Serena Williams in the final. Now that, that rivalry turned dramatically in the opposite direction. But when she initially um, beat Serena in that final, there'd been such hype around her for, for a number of years, hadn't there? I mean, what, what were your early memories of her and dealings with her? Well, she was just this twig, twiggy talent, you know, with just the heart of a lioness, really. She would just, after every ball, it was as if it were going to be her last. And uh, no fear, swing for the lines, able to walk out against Serena Williams, who was really in one of her peak periods at that phase, number one seed, had been dominating the sport, and come out and handle that moment and just take it, take it, under her side. And she did have the Wimbledon the year before where she'd gone pretty deep. I think made it to the fourth round, if I recall, or maybe even the quarters the year before. So that was when she made her mark. But um, still to do it at that level, she'd never been close to that kind of an occasion. And she just, she just seized it. And there was really no artifice to it and grabbing the phone, calling her mom. I mean, people thought it was a corporate move, but it was really more spontaneity. And, and I think 
people will say, well, she got to where she got because of her looks. She made all the money because of how she looked and how she managed herself. There's some truth in that. But you can't forget the breakthrough moment was that match. 17 years old, young girl, basically beating the world's best player. That's part of the reason why she was able to use that platform and use that leverage. It wasn't all about the looks. Well, when we look back at that match, I was watching the match point of it, and uh, Catherine Whitaker and myself were, were, were just talking about that moment and how how different she comes across. Not just obviously the way she looks because she was only seventeen, but her her reaction was felt so natural and and. And her demeanor over the years changed. I mean, maybe that's inevitable when you just get older. But um, it felt as though that that was a different person almost back then as somebody who just hadn't gone through the process of becoming an international superstar. Did you you sense the changes that that took place with her? Yeah, she became, I think, much more, uh, aside from the, the grunting or shrieking, whatever you want to call it, and that externalization, much more internally uh, centered, I think, in a lot of ways and showed a lot less. Um, and I think listening to her talk on Monday, I mean, I think a lot of the last couple of years, if you're looking at matches from that time, she's been thinking about her body a lot during the match. Am I literally going to be able to get through this match? And if I do get through this match, how am I going to get to the next one? And gosh, my shoulder hurts. And gosh, my forearms might lock up. It might, might lock up at any moment. I mean, I literally think her internal dialogue was like that in the last year and a half. And that's just, that's just tough. And that's got to make you look different in your body language and your whole approach to the game. How good was she, Chris? Because she won all four, uh, including two French Opens, which if you go back, particularly to 2007, when she described herself as a cow on ice on clay, seems, <laughs> seems remarkable, doesn't it? I asked her about that quote yesterday or Monday, and she said, uh, you know, I really own that quote. And I think I'm a kind of a cow on ice other places, too. So she has that nice... Nice sense of humor. She really does have a good wit. It can it can be used for evil as well as good, but she's got a, definitely got a wit on her. But I mean, I, I just the way she plays in some ways is limited. David, let's face it. I mean, she's not a natural volleyer. She's nowhere near the as speedy a player as a lot of the top players are today. She's limited in terms of her ability to push forward quickly and change directions. Certainly on clay, she was. But I, I felt that she made the most of her game and she knew how to really, once she had you locked in from the baseline into a pattern, she knew how to finish you off. And, and she was just a relentless Nadalian point by point competitor. But for me, the peak of her tennis in terms of when I thought she was really at her best was that 2008 Australian open a long time ago now. But I thought that she, with her shoulder then still pretty healthy, she was really starting to dominate with her serve at six foot two. The ground strokes were strong. She was probably at her quickest at that point. And I remember watching that, that tournament when she won and thinking, boy, she could dominate for a while now. She's going to take the mantle from Serena and run with it. And then the body didn't let it happen. And then Serena revived and some younger players came along as well. So it didn't work out that way. You at, at her best, she was formidable. Yeah. You coined the phrase, I believe, the unrivalry between her <laughs> and Serena Williams. And we talk about the 04 win she had in, in the Wimbledon final. And she was awesome that day. And yet the record is 22. Um, 20 wins for Serena versus two for for, for Maria Sharapova. Did, did and, and you see them laughing and joking on the court after that, though. It was all, it seemed very nice uh, in terms of the atmosphere between them. That changed pretty dramatically, didn't it, between the two of them? Yeah. I mean, Serena's always aware of some people, in some cases, who piggybacks off of her 
celebrity kind of uses the upset over her to make their career. And I think she probably always felt that Maria because of that day and the way that match played out. And I'm sure Serena, only Serena knows how well she was playing deep down inside of her. I think she probably feels she should have won that match. So I think she made Maria pay for what, 15 years and, and really, and, and really made her pay at the U S open last year. Remember that match early round match when she just destroyed her. So is that a fair reflection of their true skill sets and abilities? I don't think so. Would it have been lopsided anyway? Yes. I think if Maria 2008 Australian Open time would have played Serena at that level over a longer period of time, you would have seen a few wins from Maria, but she just locked her out. She rose to the occasion. Maria couldn't change pace on her, which can cause Serena some troubles and wasn't able to, uh, her best thing in her later part of her career was her return game for Sharapova. And I think Serena's one of her best serving days came against Maria and just a lot of scar tissue. And that was kind of the one bit of kryptonite in her career and she never could find a way to get past it what's she gonna do next chris did she give a, a did you get a feel for that from the chat you had yeah she's, i think she's got all kinds of plans and as you know she's somebody who has built these businesses on the side um throughout her career and she's had a couple of layoffs when she's been able to make time to really focus on those things like her her candy business which she's owns wholly and will try to focus on i think she's told me she's going to go back and actually study architecture at the university level by the end of the year. And uh, she's very interested in architectural design and going to do some work, I think, with uh, designing and um, improving tennis facilities, much in the way you much in the way you would a golf course. Really? I mean, how, 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 how'd you do that? that. How do you improve a tennis facility? I think you just, I think you just take the design of all the clubhouses and everything else and give it an aesthetic feel. Interesting. She's going to certainly get in, stay involved in Nike on that end with the, uh, you know, the design elements try to be input there. I think she'll have plenty of things to do. And she and her, her British boyfriend, Alexander, is very deep into the art world. He's an auction, uh, has an auction website, and I know he's uh, prominently into that. That's big. And I think, she, I think she'll uh, also be there for her friends and her family in a way she hasn't had a chance to be. Yeah. But, I, you know, she's somebody who, for better or worse, and I know she's been criticized for this, has been really the ultimate compartmentalizer in tennis. She's come to the site. Played her matches, not really connected with people because that was a way of, she thought, giving them an edge. That's kept her private life pretty damn private in a lot of cases. And I don't think she'll have any problem because it was already compartmentalized stepping into those roles. But I, she's a born competitor. I think she'll miss that that adrenaline rush and that search for the best in yourself point to point for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you even look at the fact that she's announced her retirement in Vogue and in Vanity Fair and, and obviously with yourself as well, but effectively away from tennis, really. And I, I just wonder whether tennis, aside from designing tennis facilities, whether tennis is going to see her again because most players miss it. A, a lot of players find a way to come back into it. Uh, I wonder whether she will. You know, I think you have to wait and see. Uh, I don't sense that's going to be the case in the short term, next few years at least, next couple of years, I would say. Um, but then, you know, it's it's a part of you. It's a part of you. It's all she's ever known, as she said in, in her first-person essay um, today. And it's, it is. It's something that it's always there. It's all you always done it. So when the body heals, I really don't think she'll come back against a competition. I think that's, that's done. But will, will she be back out there and have a desire to reconnect? I think I asked her about coaching, and she laughed at me. Um, so that's probably not going to be happening, at least in the near term. But playing a role in the business end of the tour or the business end of the sport, 
sitting in the stands and being part of that, I could definitely see that. It might take her a little while. It'd be nice to think, uh, I saw Billie Jean King saying some nice words about her on, on Twitter. It'd be nice to think she might want to make a difference in that regard in as much as she's she's clearly such a powerful woman. She's built up such a a brand of her own and um, and you wonder whether that might appeal to her one day, but I, I'm not sure it will. I think you have to let them settle. You know, it's just it's too many years of intensity. She's been fighting her body for so long now. I'm sure she's disappointed that it ends this way um, because even though she thinks she gave it all, I'm sure this isn't the way she imagined it. Three first round losses in a row at the slams, body not allowing you to express your craft the way you want to. I think you, know, you only really know when all that settles for a while and you your own priorities bubble up. But there's a lot of things that'll pull her away from tennis because of her interests and her focus. But I think you know she she told me she's not leaving because she doesn't love the game or competition. She's leaving because it's just gotten too heavy day to day, and the heaviness overwhelms you after a while because you just. Every day is such a struggle just to get on yeah. the court to even practice. F- Final point, Chris. Given you've spent a couple of hours with her, you've you've covered her whole career. You and I are at an age where we've 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 covered players coming and starting in the sport and then leaving the sport. How, in a sentence or two, how will you remember her really as a, as a tennis player? <laughs> a street fighter who looked like a model, I think, is probably what it comes down to. You know, she just, she was really somebody who was a contrasting individual in that obviously the appearance was very bankable for her and it mattered a great deal in terms of her bottom line and had to take pleasure in it. But really, she was happy, covered in sweat, walking off the court, not looking her best after she had a good fight or being out there doing it, shrieking, despite all the pressure to stop shrieking, she kept on doing it. Well, I think that sums it up, Chris. As always, a pleasure and a particular pleasure to speak to the tennis correspondent of the New York Times walking the street of New York in which we can actually hear people shouting at each other and uh, horns (laughs) going off. 7th Avenue, David. (laughs) 7th Avenue. Fantastic. Thanks so much for your time, Chris, as always. See you soon. Bye. Thanks, David. Take care. Bye. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So there's Chris's uh, story and version of events and memories, Catherine. He, he's been there following her career from day one and before day one in a way because he he was somebody who would have you know we get to hear about young players when they're coming through particularly players like Maria Sharapover who get picked up by big management agencies and and I, I remember when I first um, heard of her she it would have been probably three years before she won Wimbledon I remember interviewing her two years before uh, at Wimbledon when she was just coming out of the juniors and I think when she was having that run that uh, Chris was mentioning at Wimbledon I remember interviewing her and and just being struck by how insistent she was and very clear in her mind that she the goal was to be world number one there was no there was no fluffiness around all of any of it at all she was wants to be world number one and uh and and that's what she went and did um it's quite quite a story um all the way through isn't it but it, i don't think it's the story i necessarily would have thought it would have been when she ended up winning wimbledon for the first time no so much about her career is is surprising for for better and for worse you know that 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 the only slam she won on more than one occasion was the French Open. That still blows my mind um, mm. that that she never won another Wimbledon after 2004, but she won two French Opens. Um, yeah, so much is surprising about her. And she, fluffiness was what people wanted from her, wasn't it? It was, that was an act of defiance in itself. Um, uh, to my knee, Carriel from the... Um, from the Guardian tweeted uh, just now uh, an excerpt from a press conference um, of Maria Sharapova's from I think it's Wimbledon 2003 because she was 16 um, and she was 17 of course when she won in in 2004 and she'd played I think a first round match against Ashley Harkleroad and a blonde young American and it had been dubbed in in the British tabloids as Battle of the Babes just leave a pregnant pause there um and the questions being fired at her this was 
17 years ago, which I suppose now I say it sounds quite long. But this is, you know, recent memory. She's persistently asked about filling filling the Kornikova gap. How are you prepared to fill the gap with Kornikova? It, it, how was it particularly special to to win the Battle of the Babes? And Marie Sharapova's reaction to that was, was it special? <laughs> Um, what, 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 what are the biggest difficulty with, with having certain looks and certain ability to keep concentrated on the sport? And she's just so confused by the question. Like, obviously, I have no issues with being concentrated on the sport. That's my, that's my number one thing, being focused and concentrated. And she's persistently bombarded with these questions about her appearance. And, and yes, I know that you touched upon with Chris that, she didn't necessarily flee um, from that side of her her perception, um, and she certainly uh, profited from it and, and exploited it to a certain extent. But she did it on her terms. And when a woman is attractive, the world, hopefully in less and less so as, as time slowly ticks on, but the world wants to to value that in them above anything else and she kind of said I feel like her career throughout her career she said well okay I'm attractive and I'll I'll make money from that if 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 I can if if you want to to pay me money to be attractive then that's fine I'll embrace it but that doesn't define me that's not what I am and I have a lot of respect for that a lot of time for it and um it's significant yeah, the transcript to which you refer from that press conference is is really jarring. I mean, particularly now, I think. I, I, I'd like to think that if I'd have seen the same transcript, whatever that is now, six, 17 years ago, that I would also have found it jarring. But I don't think I would have found it as as upsetting as I do now. Um, and a, be a, I would be a pretty appalled. I, th- I, th- I, th- I don't know, just talking to a – she's a – child that not a child but a teenager at 16 i don't, i just hated it hated seeing those uh questions written down in that way but it wouldn't have been appropriate to ask those questions to an adult athlete there there to talk about no their sport but uh, it, it, it it's all the more uncomfortable that she was she was 16 and from the word go that's what people wanted her to be and she said no i'm going to be what i want me to be hmm yeah, the the career that that she's had, it's I, I think in a way she was unfairly paralleled as well with the emergence of of Roger Federer um, winning Wimbledon the year before, and maybe maybe it's only myself who who thought this at the time when she won Wimbledon the way she won it, absolutely thrashing Serena Williams the all time great Serena Williams at the age of just 17 I thought we've got a multiple grand slam champion who's just going to win double digits slams at at that at that age I I thought well if she can beat Serena like that at Wimbledon I didn't see I would never have imagined that she would have only won one more match against Serena Williams in her whole career. That would have seemed preposterous to me, the way she handled Serena that day. I, the observation I've, uh, I've, or one of the observations I found most interesting from, from your chat with Chris was, was actually about Serena Williams and how 
much it riles her when people make their mark by upsetting her, by beating her, by that, 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 because it struck me, we, we both watched that same video of Match Point from Wimbledon 2004, and we were both struck by similar things: the the completely unfiltered unguardedness of of Maria Sharapova, which you also asked Chris about. But the warmth of the embrace between Serena and and Sharapova, Serena immediately doesn't hesitate to come over to Sharapova's side of the net to to embrace her really warmly and 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 say say a few words, but. I, I found that, I mean, of course it makes sense um, knowing what we do about Serena, but I did find that interesting that Serena from that day forward before any aggro had taken place, just the very fact that beating her had been a defining moment for Maria Sharapova, that Serena Williams had been the victim of that defining moment sort of set them against one another, set Serena on a course to make sure that Sharapova never got the better of her again. Of course, she did later on that year at the um, end of season championships. Um, that was her second victory of Serena and then never again, yeah. which is unreal. If we if we put aside her Meldonium suspension for a second which which i will come on to you in a minute because we covered that in depth at the time and on multiple occasions when she was she initially revealed that she'd tested positive then when she had the book thrown at her and then when she was subsequently returning to the sport and given a reduction in the ban and um so we'll, we'll deal with that in a second but i just wanted to talk a little bit about her her career and her her approach to the business and to the sport of tennis generally and her refusal. And I think this probably comes back to what you, what you said about how she wasn't prepared to just go along with what people maybe wanted her to be. And she's never, she's just done it her way. And, and it hasn't always been that popular with, I don't know, maybe, maybe people within the sport, maybe with us in the media. And I just wonder whether that's something that might only happen to a woman. I, I don't know whether the, whether because she wasn't prepared to just toe the line, if, if you like, and she is, and, and this retirement, a perfect example of it, I'll, I'll do it in vogue and in Vanity Fair, my way. I'm not going to do your, your nice farewell tour. You're not going to give me your, your crystal vases and all the rest of it you're going to just have it my way in in my words you're not going to get your press conference you're not you know you're just not going to have it i'm going to i don't care and i and i feel like she's she's basically carried her entire career like that with a bit of two fingers up to everybody um yeah, you're right. Non non compliance, non conformity are are not characteristics that society values in in women. I went to a um I went to a, a talk last night um um uh, involving three three prominent feminists, one of whom has a, a has just released a book called uh, Difficult Women. Um Helen Lewis, the author of the book. Um discussing significant what society might call difficult women um, in feminist history and how they've been treated and um, as a result of that obstinacy, the obstinacy, the, the 
the the the difficult facets of their character that enabled them to do extremely significant things but also led them to be treated in a certain way by a society that didn't embrace those those qualities in women so i think i i think there probably is something in that um and that's that's something i'd not really considered before um with her and and you know i i had issues as much with her subsequent treatment of her um um post ban career and approach to it and approach to attitude towards it all i suppose i had as much issue with that as i did with the whole fiasco that unfolded at, at the time but i do respect the i do respect the attitude of i'm just going to do this this my way and there's a lot of people we're talking about Kyrgios today and how he he was saying uh after retiring in Acapulco he he kept on saying I don't care I don't care that I got booed whereas actually you could you could tell he very much cared the fact the way he was talking about it I think Sharapova really managed to do a lot of genuine I don't care and Sophia Kenin it's some of the things that we were raving about her in Melbourne, really, that she just stomped around and did her own thing. And she, and she idolised Maria Sharapova. That was her her hero. And and I don't think I quite realised that over the years. If I look back over Sharapova's career, that, that yeah, it was, it was kind of a bit unusual um, to not – to sort of – to not embrace it in the way that maybe people wanted to do, in, in your words, but to to just forge her own her own perception. I mean, I I never I've never liked the 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 sugar pover um, product and things like that. I I don't particularly like some of the things that she's she's carved out for herself as as another career. But that's just a personal preference. I I, I have a lot of respect for the fact that she's just gone and well just done it done what she wanted to do and she's successfully done it um just before we get back onto the 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 ban i mean the 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 on court achievements um are whilst they're not as spectacular as i thought they were going to be from her as a child prodigy as as somebody who came along as a, as a, a junior champion etc i find her achievements arguably even more impressive given that we subsequently, as Chris was mentioning, found her to be kind of limited as a tennis player, actually, and and yet she still, through perseverance and through just bloody mindedness, because she would not quit, and she adapted and found ways. I mean, look at how she won her slams: two thousand four, I think it was two thousand six for the U.S. Open, two thousand eight for the Australian Open, two thousand twelve for the French Open. 2014 for the French Open you know she's she's done it over a 10-year period and still only won five slams but won all of them I mean I just I, I quite like that when I look at that as a body of work with all the injuries as part of it yeah and with a with a game that's that's now quite out of date isn't it, it it's it's a the the tennis has moved on from that um high powered weaponry but with major limitations style of play you can't really afford to have the limitations that that she that she has in in today's game and that's been the case over the 
the course of her career she's been fighting against the tide and as you say it's her it's her bloody mindedness and even even i can't remember exactly when it was when she she had a period away and she came back with with a remodeled serve she'd had to change her service motion and she was double faulting a lot and you you looked at her play and you thought well without her serve she doesn't stand a chance you know if she's she's not holding serve with you she she can't afford to to not to to have that weapon removed from her game and she just wasn't having it she just found a way um and that's to her to her great credit how tainted for you therefore is she by the doping suspension because we i listened back to to the, the podcast we did around that time and the story, you know, it did change. It became more severe when the initial uh, ruling came out and gave her a two-year ban and said that she she had full control over what she was doing. And then it was subsequently reduced by the Court of Arbitration um, because of uh, saying that, that it wasn't intentional. Um, but then you look at the fact that she she would never let us know what she'd replaced Meldonium with, given that Mildrenate, as it was it was uh, called in her initial words, was something she needed for a medical condition, and we were never allowed to know. Well, okay, how are you treating that medical condition? And and the possibly circumstantial evidence that she never got close to those achievements subsequently to to having been un- unable to have that substance. How tainted is she? I think that's in the eye of the the beholder. Um, yeah. For for me, and I'm very aware that this might be, in fact, is unfair. But for me, she's more tainted by m- my knowledge that she was legally doping for all those years than sh- than she is by by the as Chris put it the administrative error which i suppose you could say that's slightly reductive but it is essentially um what what led to her what led to her testing positive and and receiving that ban i know that's unfair because heck they might all have been taking meldonium every tennis player out there might have been taking meldonium their whole careers up until the point that it was added to the banned list and she's the only one that's been exposed um exposed for it so i'm aware that's an unfair position for her to be in and it's un- it's unfortunate but i'm really uncomfortable with it i'm uncomfortable with even though i know it goes on i'm i'm probably i'm on the cynicals end of the scale when it comes to doping sadly you'll be surprised to hear david's probably on the more optimistic end of the scale i'm not naive about how how much that's probably going on but it still depresses me and disappoints yeah. me so as unfair as it is the system thing that's absolutely that's what that's what sticks in my mind mm. and it if, yeah that that's for better or worse, that's what sticks in my mind. How about you? Yeah, I, I, I still, I, I mean, I, I still don't know for sure whether whether she's telling the truth about um, the fact that she just needed it for a medical condition and w- maybe it had no positive effects to her performance. It's just, imp- it's impossible for me to know about that. 
Um, but then I do look at those that circumstantial evidence, at the very least, the, the before and after, and I know that she will say, no, it's about injuries. My shoulder was falling off and therefore I couldn't play. Um, but it was a pretty dramatic drop-off. Um, when you look at the fact that she won the French Open in 2014, she reached uh, Grand Slam finals in the year after that. Then she tested positive, stopped having it, and she got nowhere near that level afterwards. Now, that may just be circumstantial, um, but it it does bother me. Um, and and I, I, I think it was Andy Roddick in an interview, he he said and and i know he's a he's a friend of hers and a supporter of hers but he did say look it's it was legal so she can do what she likes but it does it does look as if it was helping i remember him saying it in that way um so that will always that will always bother me when when assessing her career overall um but at the same time i i i think maybe with the years i'll i'll think back to some of the good some of the many good moments not only that arrival on the scene but more the perseverance more the reinventing of herself more the the fact that she got four slams um all four slams um yeah for me the the her biggest achievement was beating Simona Halep in that 2014 French Open final that's yeah if you ask me to to pick out a career defining tennis on court tennis moment it would be that she had no right to be winning the French Open in the year 2014, as you say, no. a, a decade after her first slam beating, you know, Simona Halep had emerged that season. She was the absolute informed player. OK, it was her first Grand Slam final, but all, all, all Sharapova had on her side in that was her doggedness and her experience and... She made those count for more. And I, d I did like the fact that the way she went about her business on court and off it, there was never a stone unturned. And people did like to the tabloids and, and various people in the media, I think, and, and, and trolls do like to point the finger and say, oh, she was, you know, this glamour and, um, and all the rest of it. But it was just, I mean, it's okay, my, maybe on the side that she was interested in that side of things as well. But God's sake, there was never a second when she didn't give everything. Um, there was every last drop that she had to give put into her career to try to just make the most of it. And I thought it was, I enjoyed watching that. I, I enjoyed that that side to her um, as, a, as a competitor. Um, so you know we're, we're going to get a lot of these over the next uh, few few years. Um, this is the only one we're doing twice. <laughs> I'm saying that twice, now. Folks. Yeah, <laughs> it is indeed. We don't uh, want any so, more false alarms. The career of Maria Sharapova is at an end, and it does feel out of the blue. I mean, the the way she's done it, I, I am taken aback by. I, I I didn't really expect this, but then maybe I should have done. I think, I mean, I hadn't given it much thought because in my mind, th this was absolutely coming at some stage, some stage, some stage soon. I hadn't given much thought to specifically how it would happen, but she doesn't strike me as a hugely sentimental person at all. It doesn't surprise me mm. at all that she's not wanted to have a, a farewell tournament or a farewell event, even, you know, just to do a, a victory lap. Thinking about her character, that, that doesn't surprise me 
really. And and as you observed, it is interesting that she's she's done it um, outside of the tennis sphere, really. Aside from the she, the chat with Chris, perhaps quite enjoyed that, that, mm. that element of it. I think she's probably quite enjoyed saying, "Yeah, screw you all, mm, definitely <laughs> I'm do it my way." Um, so Maria Sharapova, her career is at an end. It's uh, it's been best part of two decades long and uh well we wish you the very best in her future and it'll be interesting to see whether she does return to tennis in any in any meaningful way at, at all i'm not not convinced she will um no shout outs this uh, on this particular show because it's a bit out of the blue and we've got no matt to remind me um and uh, but we will say hello to butler <laughs> hello butler <laughs> any excuse yeah uh, and we'll be back with uh, normal service resuming on Monday. You could have just made up a load of names for shout-outs there. Could have done, yeah. Just just, just any old guy. Or just do uh. shout-out to your mum and dad. Hi, mum and dad. <laughs> hi, Catherine's mum and dad. Hi, Catherine's brother. <laughs> uh, hi, Rosie. Hi, Magic. And you and, said there uh, were no shout-outs. Well, there you go. Um, they all deserve it, you see, part of the team. Uh, and we'll be back on Monday. So thanks for listening and speak to you soon. 